Hi, welcome to the Move On Past podcast. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Smith. Glad you stumbled across this. I'm a private practice counselor in the Hill Country area of Texas and release this podcast to help support my community. I believe we should all expand our knowledge and comfort with our mental health. I do hope you consider including the Move On Past podcast as just one of your resources along your journey for growth. Now, these podcasts are generally released when I have time and topics to discuss and haven't really shared a podcast, gosh, over a year. So time flies when you're busy. I do hope with this group of podcasts for season six, I wanted to focus on a variety of discussions, articles and resources and shares on how we seek help, how we request it, how we receive it kind of delve into a little bit of my journey at the request of my clients and hope to pick up the podcast a little bit more frequently. Glad to have you aboard. So this is episode 33 of the Move On Past podcast, and I'm considering this, I don't know, season six, episode one, and this is where I sit down and talk with my friend Eva. And Eva and I have had plenty of conversations as she has acquired her hours I am super privileged to have her as an associate. We recorded this one on counselor seeking help. It was a good conversation that we had and we thought, man, we should share this, kick off the podcast again. So I'm happy to have her and hope she becomes a frequent guest, if not a co-host in the future. Eva's background, counseling all ages, as well as an interest in the research components of counseling and in the psychology field. Super happy to have her share some of her knowledge and the conversation and experiences we've had. Hope you enjoy it enough to subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks for joining us. This is exciting because I'm sitting down with Eva. We're going to record a conversation. And one of the many conversations that we've had over the years. So I'm excited about this. And um, I wanted Eva to be here because... We were talking about this topic not too long ago about like times whenever like counselors needing counselors and uh, basically what that framework looks like and how we experience from the other side of the proverbial couch, I guess, what, what we go through and how we handle things. So what's your, what's your take Eva, thanks for being here, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, well, I mean, of course, I'm going to start maybe a little bit broad. Uh, oh, please. Um, I think there's a little bit of a, and I think this is getting better, maybe a bit of a taboo about like admitting you're in therapy, I think for everybody. And, um, because I think we have such an individualist culture and we don't necessarily like in the U S we don't necessarily value, uh, engagement, um, like storytelling, like asking for help, um, that more collectivist cultures do. And especially for a, a therapist, um, there may be some sort of kind of like scarcity beliefs that we should have it together. We should know, how to manage our emotions, how to see through, um, uh, how to see through maladaptive behavior in ourselves and other people. And um, it's just, 
it's just not true. I, I, I think that, uh, like I work with, I work with children a lot and, um, that's kind of like, that's been pretty much my, my exclusive population for the last, oh, uh, probably two years, I would say. And, um, I use a metaphor a lot of the time that, you know, children don't have the language to describe their experiences so many times. And because they're, the development of their brain just doesn't have that capacity. So I tell parents that they're sort of borrowing your brain when you give them that language to describe upsetting experiences. And when they can describe it, it takes the emotional sting out of it. And I think as much as we would like to believe that as adults with, you know, fully, fully developed, you know, uh, cortex we we have all the language tricks but we don't right. though i mean we we, we don't we we yeah. need that as you know as much as not more than anybody else yeah absolutely I, I, and i think it's i it's what i've kind of noticed is um because in graduate school I, i've told you this like i had a professor who said if you haven't been in counseling you need to get in counseling mm-hmm. to see and and there, that was what uh, was dating me the nineties, I guess. And it was at that time, it was like Gen X. We don't, we don't need anybody. Mm-hmm. We're latchkey <laughs> yeah. latch kids. Like, oh we, yeah, I yeah, definitely. I thought, of, yeah. So it's like you handle it basically. And so there was a little bit of internal pushback, you know. But of course, I'm a mm-hmm. little, you know, I want the good grades. So. Uh, you know, I went and it was, and it was an experience, yeah. you, you know, because it, you just really don't realize how much, um, normalizing and validating is necessary, especially when, when there's events that I think we anchor to that define us. And then whenever those get pulled out from us, especially big, big events, even small events or collective events in our life, like, we need it as, as humans, we're, we're herd animals, you know, we need, we need yeah. to look to others to like, oh, okay, am I, is this okay? Is this, how, am I, how do I normalize this? How, you know, how is this validating? So, yeah, I, th- I think it's a huge part. It's, it's interesting though, because uh, through a couple of experiences that I've had recently, when they find out you're a counselor, they're like, oh, you're good. Yeah, you don't, <laughs> you don't need anybody to talk to. We don't need to connect you here or there or whatever. Like that, I, I when I ran into that, I was like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, I do. You, you know, we, we, I'm still human. You know, we still need to know. Like, I want to know what resources are there and what's available. So, so yeah, and and I think there's so much of our inner child that comes out under distress. You know, we have a default. Um, it, you know, I always think about the person on my couch as a legacy of everyone behind them and how they coped and how they dealt with things. And unfortunately, sometimes that what we're taught and what we're shown isn't necessarily it's very youngian of you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Thank collective you. unconscious, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. So, all, our, our clients are all a, a, a myriad of the, the all of the archetypes yeah, sitting in front of us. Yeah, absolutely. It's a crowded couch sometimes. It's Oh, yes. (laughs) So the, um, yeah, and I think, you know, and as you've, as you've uh, worked with adults, too, I know you've seen that, that kind of that inner child work kind of come out in that language to where, so for you, like when you're looking uh, 
for a counselor and like personal experience or like, what are you looking for? What, what resonates with you? Um, I think we, we've had this conversation a little bit before, so this mm-hmm. is co- probably going to be redundant for you, but not for someone listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is one area of my life that I feel like I can let go of and kind of let whatever higher power there is to direct me to someone that I need at that point in my life. And I say that with just that experience, because I'm so hyper controlled of like everything else and so afraid of letting go of control in any other area. And I want to research everything um, because I want to know, I want to know the landscape of whatever I'm going into to sort of like feel the the landmines. But with, with this, I, when I, I have always found the person that I needed to at that time. And I know that sounds like very new agey for an answer, but I guess to make it more practical, I do, there are certain kind of, there is a criteria, like uh, I, I want someone who, I want someone who has had their own counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, I want someone who has, um, I, I like someone who has experience with like behavioral statistics and the science of what we do. And, um, uh, the validity and I, I, there's this, there's this really great, and I wish I could attribute it right, but it was a book I read and it said that I think interventions, interventions not grounded in theory are party tricks. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny. Like there, there had, there has to be some, like something grounded in the research to push the process forward. Um, so those, those two, and probably I've, my, my my therapists have been female. Um, so, and I don't, I don't know if that's, I don't think I would be opposed to working with a male, but I think that that's, I felt more comfortable with the female with, with females before. Do you think that you seek out persons who have similar characteristics as you? Yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah, here I am, like saying, like, oh, the universe will bring it to me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, no, there are there are some things that I gravitate towards. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, oh gosh, like I, I hate talking about myself in this way, but I. Uh, Most therapists do. <laughs> yeah, my, I think I'm. <laughs> I can be kind of an intense person, a melodramatic person, and also a. Mm, uh, someone that likes to dive into sad things. So I think someone that has to kind of ride with me through that. So someone who is, I think I would have difficulty with someone who was very much entrenched in maybe positive psychology or um, super, Mm -hmm. super, um, I love strengths-based um, therapy, but I think if someone was very much entrenched in that, which would be good for someone else, but for me, yeah. I think I'm much more humanistic, narrative, um, let's like go and explore like the, you know, the worst thing. <laughs> existential. So, existential. Yeah, existential. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. realizing as I'm saying this, this is like I'm completely counteract, counter contradicting everything I say. It's hilarious. Well, I get no, I don't think so. I think you're lining up because there is a portion. I think there's a portion of us to where it's like, yeah, intuitively, like I, it has to feel right. You you know, you want mm-hmm. you 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 want to be it's hard to describe. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it's kind of like, oh, I know it when I see it, or I know it when I feel it. 
exactly it, yeah it, the chemistry know. there has to be a chemistry just like Lenny this is an important relationship you have um with with your therapist it's just within the therapy space it doesn't yeah. extend to the to the real world outside of it but um you have to have the chemistry you have to have trust you have to have you have to have that that felt safety mm-hmm. with with someone because you can't heal without it yeah, absolutely. I I think I think that I think whenever I think about like, oh, I I am probably a terrible client when I when I think. Why would you say that? I don't know. I uh, but I was just thinking. I was like because as I as I think about the questions that I ask my clients, like I'm like, wow, those are tough, and like, how would I mm. answer them? And, some of them would probably piss me off. You, you know, it's whatever. I'm, it would piss you off. Yeah, I think so. I think there are cer- certain questions where I think like, why do you want to know that? You, you know, like I would probably. Like clarification questions, yeah. maybe. Oh my gosh. I think I'd be a defensive client or I, I, I've noticed I am, a, I, I do have a little pushback because I think as a person, because of that behindness of like oh I'm I'm supposed to be able to handle it myself or I'd like to read about it or I I know about that theory like what are you doing what are you bringing you you know and so there's a little bit of I still gather something you know I guess I do it in a respectful way but maybe not always but but I but I think that there's you yeah there is kind of when I think about like ooh would I match my counseling style like I think to a I don't degree, know if, do you degree, think that we're meant to I think to some degree for like-mindedness like I want mm. someone who values the same things I do but do I but do I want them handling them the same way I do apparently not because I'm coming coming to somebody to seek seek some assistance so if they handle it the same way I do you know if they if they like to get ticked off about stuff and never mind forget it yeah this you know that I'm I'm probably not going to do well with that uh, um, because I'll I'll be in in agreement to stay with the same Uh, like they're not able to offer a counterpoint or illuminate Ah. maybe a maladaptive thought pattern that you have yeah have that that uh, uh, objectiveness Right. So like, there's going to be somebody like, to some degree, I do want someone who has a different approach or viewpoint, um, Mm -hmm. even though it might challenge me in some way or make me leave the session being like, what the hell? (laughs) I don't, you know, I don't think uh, leaving sessions feeling better is always uh, a good thing, you know, like after you leave a a counseling session. And I, and I, I notice like, I make attempts to do that when I'm when I'm trying to get the buy-in and when you're trying to build rapport and all of those things. But then I think that they do need that disclaimer of like sometimes you're going to leave a session and you're going to feel like crap and it's and it's going to get in your yeah. head. Yeah, you know? that sort of in the in the beginning when you're first meeting with a client and giving them all of the the front-loaded information and that is yeah setting expectations mm-hmm. for what this process looks like and Mm -hmm. some days you might not like me some days I might call you out on your bullshit Um, but a lot of those more those micro skills that involve sort of purposefully raising your client's arousal level um, asking for clarification clarification um, can be a very valuable tool to 
sort of illuminate the process of a client externally processing where they have, they desire this outcome, but their behavior is antithetical to that. Mm-hmm. So um, that can be troubling in session, like you were saying earlier, like that kind of pissed me off that they asked me that. And like, why did they say mm-hmm. that to me? Um, and obviously the rapport and the trust and the safety have to be there before you can do that with your client it's a necessary part of the process though I've had moments in therapy where when I was sort of meditating on kind of what we were going to talk about today I was this this started to come up with me I had said something to my therapist about disclosing something to someone and she looked at me and she said you know that was the boundary violation that you just did oh and it made me so mad and I was just like no it wasn't I had this whole kind of like diatribe of of explanations of why this was my lifestyle and this is like how my family does things. And then I sort of wrestled with it. And the next session I was like, you're absolutely right. It kind of hit it. My, I knew you're right. And Mm -hmm. it made me mad. I was like, (laughs) I was in my own psychological silo of like defending. I was uh, in my own way. I was defending something that wasn't working for me anymore, just out of comfort Mm -hmm. and change intimacy change all of those things they're they're good but they're painful yeah yeah absolutely and I think my my first my first inclination is to challenge it or Mm -hmm. you know counter it or or let me find something that backs that up you know let me or let me find something that 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 I can how how can I defend that but yeah, yeah I think yeah absolutely but I think that's what gets the work done you know like I guess we could there as long as we don't stay there in that challenged place or that ticked off place, but to know like, Ooh, Ooh, you just hit something. And why, why, you know, being curious, I think is a big part of uh, our profession. And then also, uh, also our, our personal growth as far as like, cause sometimes I think like to some degree, I'm a big, I like the the talking process of of therapy, but then also I'll always tell my clients like I should not be your sole resource in your okay. in your well being, uh, not because I don't want that pressure, but, <laughs> you know, but also I I want to I want them to have that buy in of knowing I use that I use a a holistic medicine wheel component that's like mm-hmm. uh, emotional mental uh physical spiritual like all that all those components make us balance so like is there a particular practice that you endorse or supplement um to counseling uh that you really has become your go-to your personal go-to and then also like ones that you might recommend for someone else well um, yes. Um, and what you said just a second ago, and uh, we've talked about this before with the the verbalization of I should not be your only resource with a mm-hmm. certain we've that's been such a valuable piece of information that you've given to me over the course of um, my associateship um, and provisional licensure, because I, I worked with really acute populations with a lot of uh, intersections of homelessness, um, sexual Mm -hmm. assault, drug use, um, uh, substance um, disorders. And 
I think I've been in a place where I've had to make that boundary between case manager and psychotherapist. And that has been when you gave me kind of the language to tell them that in a way that is gentle, but still empowering for them. um, That was very useful. And I think it applies to us as therapists too. Like we, (laughs) when we're dealing with clients, we need to consult with, with our colleagues a lot. I think that's part of our, our, that's a big big part of our profession that I really love actually, is we are so comfortable with consultation. They start that, that dialogue in grad school. You need to consult, consult, consult. If you're, you know, in an ethical dilemma, if you find yourself um, kind of in the weeds with a case conceptualization, you just don't have the skill set to handle consult um, for the protection of your client. And I was just thinking back to the original subject of like, as counselors who need counselors, our minds should not be our only, um, our only kind of hermetically sealed, like <laughs> the knowledge that we have in our head, that's just all we need. No, if we're, we, that's, we ourselves should not be our only resource. Um, yeah, absolutely. So that's another kind of determinant of like, oh, we, we need counseling too. But um, to get, get back to your original um, question, so that was a digression. Um, kind of supplemental stuff to, to I, I'm a big proponent for, um, for meditation. That's, that's, that's always my go-to progressive muscle relaxation. Oh yeah. And that's, that's, good ones. that's because of my, my sense memory. Cause I, I, I use a lot of that and I find that very effective to deal mm-hmm. with stress. Um, You're a big reader too. That's, I, I'm a big reader. I'm a big redditor. Like, that's, <laughs> I wish I could be like, I'm so erudite and I have all these books that I've read and it's just like, I'm on Reddit a lot of the time. Like I'm reading Reddit. Um, but, uh, uh, I, Comprehensive, I would, you know, I mean, you can get information quick whenever it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I want that. Let me see what's available out there. You know, and I think what's happening in real time. And I think there's an honesty to the disclosures on Reddit that you don't see anywhere else yeah. um so that you're kind of dipping your foot into the collective that is that's the ultimate collective credit people <laughs> from all over but um, uh, yeah meditation is definitely one i love bibliotherapy but a lot of my clients don't really take to it i, mm-hmm. I I'll, I'll address and be like do you like to read do you like podcasts what's your kind of learning style are you even interested in outside resources some are just like nah nah dog I'm good kind of thing (laughs) but others are like yeah yeah I've had and those are really moments of like therapist joy for me when I recommend a book and they read it and there's like it really helped me and I'm like oh thank god like you have uh I think that sort of buttresses and pushes forward the therapy process if they have a book they can kind of yeah. uses a resource to give them excess language and also to feel that sense that they're not alone with whatever they're contending with that mm-hmm. you know to the point in which there's a whole book about it written by yeah. someone who went through it as well so that's a good point yeah because I, I you're right because it is about the language and we have to change we have to change the words in our head having a variety of different resources and changing the language, changing our, our verbiage, because we're so used to like moving to like our default inner critic, you know, so to be able to like, Oh yeah, I need somebody to an extent, there should be some externalizing validation as we build our internal 
validation system. Um, and especially when we're struggling, I see like, man, our internal validation system usually goes to criticism uh, a lot of the times. And so to be yes. able to like, ooh, let me normalize that that language and those experiences. And I think experiences are a big part of it. So meditation, guided meditations. Ooh, I'm such a big proponent of that. And um, I'm a book collector. Uh, <laughs> and then I- t- I didn't know that about you. And then I dabble in like, yeah, let me get the highlights of this. Oh yeah, from beginning to end, that was a good resource. But you know, you kind of glean the gist of it and you're like, all right, now they're getting repetitive. Um, that's a big thing. Um, what are you seeing um, as far, oh, one of the big ones, I think walking, moving things with, using things with your body as we start to store up energy in our body. That's another one that I think is like, a big but I could see my clients their eyes just glaze over oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> when I tell them anything about exercise or or like maybe cut down on sugar and it's you know the, either that or like their violent imagery comes in <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> comes in of like wanting to do me harm for that's the first to thing to away. check if I check in on like sleep hygiene like, oh, yeah. like what 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 are you, uh, what are, what screen, screen use? It's just like, they're not, no, I feel it. Mm-hmm. I see it. Their guys glaze over. They're just like, they're not here anymore. They're not going to yeah, do that. And you know that they know that social media is not their friend at times, you know, it's such a comparative mindset. There's so many things that I think like, uh, as we talk about supplements, there's also so many things that are like, just what's the opposite of supplement. And I'm looking for why my mind go blank of, uh, you know, uh, things we want to avoid whenever we're working on our our health care and our wellness to know like, oh, yeah, I have this tendency and I know it's bad for me to sit there and and peruse Facebook or Facebook. If I have how many sessions have I had about like how somebody has talked oh, about yeah. how they want less Facebook or Instagram or social media in their life because it brings them down and makes them feel badly. So I'm like, oh, go to the sources that bring you joy and and it's a tough battle though because i think our brain is hardwired to really um try to make sense of the world and um uh during during kind of my training i've done i've had to do a lot of kind of trauma-informed um review and uh the biggest thing that i've learned from that is that if our brain has not found the beginning middle and the end of something we are maybe constantly caught in that trans crisis state where we're trying to build mastery over that discomfort we're trying to find that little bit of information that's going to make us feel better that's going to give us that finality and really building mindfulness around that and sometimes just stepping away from that and allowing your mind to kind of reset itself can be so beneficial i think i've um, but oh, like in like in DBT, we say do the opposite action against oh, right. every sort of uh, uh, neurotrans transmitter uh, kind of guide. All of those really powerful neurohormones and neurotransmitters are guiding you towards like more and more and more. I want to like doom scroll. I want to do all this stuff, mm-hmm. and it's going to ultimately it's a distraction. Yeah. Um, so if you can just have just kind of that little spark of mindfulness of like, okay, I, I've gone too far. This is mm-hmm. not helpful. 
I need to just do the opposite action. I just need to go. Like, I think the saying now is like, go touch grass. Like I need need to go touch grass. (laughs) Right. As something that pulls you away. I think it, uh, intention and intention is, is very thoughtful. Like, how is this serving me? You know, what, Mm -hmm. what good is this doing right now? And I think it's, it's moving from being in it to with it. Um, Let's go back to like focusing um, one of the books I actually did complete, but <laughs> I know wait, that was, yeah, we, it's we, a good one. it um, is, it's a good one. It's like, yeah, like it brings we, up all we, the mindfulness language, all, you know, all the recycled, you know, jargon the felt, the felt sense. Yeah. Anytime I go through that with someone it is so powerful. I don't think I've ever brought that into a session and, and I guess maybe it's, it's, for anyone who's not really kind of read the book, it's just, it's kind of a series of questions that you ask the client and really it's, they're struggling with the problem and you're going, you're kind of penetrating these deeper layers and what's really underneath it. So it kind of facilitates that self-exploration um, from a Socratic questioning, I guess, kind yeah. of standpoint even. So um, yeah, when I bring that into, into session, that really is effective. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it has, it really hits to the core of a lot of our struggles I think and so yeah to really to get out of our little self self self-sabotaging mind or our default to like uh bringing ourselves in down into the negative yeah it's it's a great resource I think one of the other little things that's been uh interesting to watch as you talked about like earlier you had said like the stigma like people are starting to talk about mental health a, a lot more, like which I, to me is very ex- exciting. It always comes with like a two-edged sword, though, you know, depending upon what people are viewing on TikTok. But, but, um, what do you think is like the most exciting trend that you're seeing? You know, I mean, we're kind of in a an old profession, but what, what are you seeing? Mm-hmm. Some of the exciting trends coming up. Um, (laughs) my metric, this is so scientific of me, my metric is, is the sort of influx of memes that are associated with psychotherapy (laughs) and the the normalization of it. It's, I think for Gen Z, it's very, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, my therapist did this, my therapist did that. Like there's, it's very, like, um, I see them all the time, um, on like, social on like reddit on i'm not a big tiktoker i go on there now and then but uh instagram Mm -hmm. um so it's it's very the dialogue is just open for it now so i think that's amazing because um people that need help are feel much more comfortable and supported getting that help because um uh, it doesn't feel as scary now now that there's a public conversation about it i think that's really great yeah, I think that's that's super exciting. I was I was reading an article in like um psychology today because when you when you advertise on there they send you a magazine quarterly or I don't know whenever I'm supposed to get it. It just randomly shows up and I'm like, "Yay." But <laughs> I don't I think it's quarterly because it's not monthly. Um but they had uh of all people they had like a little profile of like a heavyweight boxing a uh, guy, what was it, Devante Wilder? He's like the heavyweight, oh, heavyweight boxing champion. Yeah, it was very cool because he was talking about um, he had uh, injured a guy, knocked a guy out, 
and he became very emotional and he was crying and he talked about like, Hey, you know, it was, I was concerned about uh, not just about him, but about like our profession as boxers and the injuries that happen. And so he was a very, he had a very candid conversation about like mental health and mental wellness and the importance of that and, and um, how much it, he wants to be a good representation to his family and to his children about advocating for mental health and and being comfortable talking about and sharing feelings and I thought how awesome is that I mean of all all places to hit to hit in the in the boxing world to me you know not a not an area where people are talking about mental health and wellness very very much so that was that was very nice and then to you know I think with the um the Olympic Games and some of the athletes talking about the wellness and needing mental health days and times to reflect. I, I think that trend is is nice. I think we're on a continuum, you know, as with anything. Um uh we'll we'll feel saturated with it before we find our balance. But yeah, I'm excited to hear to hear mental health coming up a little bit more and talking about it just like we would any other struggle that we have you know we break our arm we don't we don't have a stigma behind it it you know and and i, I feel that this yeah. is the same it you know there's certain things like we're we're system operating beings so so we need to make sure each of our systems are coordinating in the right way internally so, so yeah and i think great. people that have like younger people that have heroes and people that they admire um celebrities and and um sports uh people that are very um prominent sports figures um if they open up a discussion about their mental health i think that that can only you know promote the process of feeling comfortable to do within themselves and you you mentioned sports psychology and i i you know i have thought before that sports psychology is a little bit more um it's not process oriented. It's more focus oriented. There's a physical kind of rugged aspect to it. There's like a, there's a resilience kind of a a goal to, to be resilient and to move on and to perform. So I feel like for people who are a little less um, comfortable with the the crunchy stuff with, with um, psychology, they can lean into the sports psychology a, a little bit more like 90, is it 90 for 90 or 20 for 20? The, the sports doc, the one that ESPN does, the documentary. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking 20 about. For 20. I was, when I've watched those, I've been incredibly moved by the way that they examine emotions and the impact that they have on uh, uh, an athlete's experience. Um, I remember listening to or watching the uh, 90 to 90 for 20 for 20. I, I don't remember the name, but it, it was the, the <laughs> one for... Um, uh, I'm totally mis misattributing it. Um, for Na- Nancy uh, Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding, and um, it was that this kind of the case study that that documentary really put forth was was fascinating Ooh, to me. Yeah. Um, oh. And that was even before I went to grad school to kind of study this. But um, Nancy Kerrigan talked about her mental process healing. Um, and she said that during that process where she was training to recover from her injury, 
she shut out anything that she couldn't control and there was she identified a few things that she could focus on and that was it and she's like I'm, I'm gonna get through this and i'm going to slowly i think as a as a victim of violence start to regain my control and my mastery over my body and once i have that she said i'm gonna i'll deal with the the deeper layers of the psychology later on so it was almost like the body had to be dealt with first and then the kind of more ephemeral mental kind of emotional trauma would come into would be processed accordingly yeah that makes sense for an athlete um Mm -hmm. 30 for 30 for 30 30 for okay I'm so yeah. sorry that's yeah, just yeah. so horrible I'm like <laughs> I had to look it up because I was I was like yeah that sounds right and uh yeah so it made me it made me look it made me look it up but yeah I think I, that's a big thing I've I've that's resonated like I've noticed that with clients as well especially some kids like I think I think whenever I was working with a population of children like a lot of times I would see the parents would really be advocating for talk therapy or like the traditional counseling model for, for their children because they had experienced trauma too, you know? And so I think anytime that a, that a family has gone through something, everyone should, should be involved in it in some capacity. But, but I've seen that so often to where the readiness for the words, especially if, if someone can't find the language, you know, so much. I think those supplements are needed. Like, Oh, let me, let me focus on like what my body can do or what, let me focus on um, just getting the nervousness out of my muscles or, you know, or let, let me, let me focus on feeling more balanced, whatever it happens to be. I think we have to have, everybody has a different starting point and to recognize that, you know, doesn't, doesn't necessarily, because sometimes I would feel discouraged but I wouldn't want to push a child into talk therapy whenever they weren't at a readiness for that they needed more play or or you know play time or play therapy or non-directive type yeah, of aspects of doing those things adage in, in play therapy is um uh the child uses spokes toys you know the toys are words and play is their language um kind of kind of full circle going back to just the original kind of topic or the original one of the original things we talked about at the top of the of our conversation that the um the child learns the language um in connection the nervous system develops in connection Um, we're hardwired for that connection and children don't automatically have it Um, and I think parents sometimes forget where they're at in the development of their brain and the expectations are a little bit off target Um, so much of what children do as they work through trauma is so symbolic and um some, they need to kind of be in that really safe place where they are being watched, their feelings are being reflected. And um, I'm, when I work with kids, it, I use a lot of, um, we, we, the agency that I work for, it's very non-directive and our tenants are, um, our main techniques are obviously tracking the behavior, reflecting content, reflecting feeling. Um, 
one of them that I really love is a be with attitude. And that sounds so cheesy, but um, it allows the child to feel that I'm here for you. I care about you and I delight in what you do. Uh, and yeah. Oh, that's well put. It's uh, yeah. Like meeting I, them I where they it. are. It's not my thing, but <laughs> <laughs> say it again. Like I'm here for you. I see you. I delight in you. And that's not mine. That's, that's Dr. Oh, Rena Hicks. I want to correctly, I don't want to overly <laughs> give <steal>. reference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've also heard kind of the layers of the brain um, kind of being uh, stimulated from top, from bottom to top, mm-hmm. um, the children, and that being conceptualized as, am I safe? Okay. That's time, you know, the, 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 uh, the brain stem, you know, the housekeeping yeah. functions of the brain, the midbrain, um, am I loved? Yeah. And then once those two things are built upon, we can move to the higher use of language and, and functioning and um, uh, abstract concepts. And so it's, I'm, so it's, I am, I, am I safe? Okay. Am I loved? Okay. And then what can I learn from this? And I think sometimes maybe parents go top to bottom yeah. and. Um, yeah. It, and to jump through that, like I think our, just our limbic relay system isn't, isn't going to allow it, you know, cause it's like, Oh, wait a minute. We're not safe. I'm not, I can't yeah. learn anything from this because I, I'm still, you know, I, I'll always joke with, with some of my clients that are like actively actively in trauma it's like I'm you know I can't run alongside the battlefield with the soldier asking them how they're doing you you know it's it's um we're not ready we're not ready for that right then you you know and so meeting them where they are and getting them getting them what they need in that moment of like okay let's let's settle down let's breathe let's let's reattach to Let's ground yourself. Uh, what'd you say? Let's go outside. And let's feel the grass. That's, yeah, yeah, let's go touch grass. <laughs> let's go touch some grass. Yeah, because I, I, I think that that's a, a huge um, portion of healing is being able to meet ourselves where we are and uh, and as therapists, you know, meeting our clients where they are. Um, those are those are huge. Yeah. Um, moments i think when we when we tap into that let's see what else what what have what have we covered that you wanted to is there anything you want to touch on that we really haven't covered about like like i guess it's more along my lines like comfort of counseling and this has evolved into you know not counselors but like the comfort of counseling and yeah comfort i you know the corner you go to like common factors theory it's the cornerstone of successful therapy is the relationship and the, the trust and the comfort that you feel with someone mm-hmm. um uh i remember hearing this is probably a, so dr drew he's kind of problematic these days a little bit but <laughs> i he's i love him he's one of the he reasons value. That I, I like him a lot yeah um he he referenced like this meta-analysis of uh, efficacy of therapy and with a bunch of, I, I don't know the research design or any of it, but um, they found out like the most effective therapist that they could find in their study was this, this um, she was this 80 year old woman in the Cotswolds of England and she wasn't 
very, she wasn't necessarily formally trained. She didn't have a lot of clinical knowledge. She was just a very soothing presence that probably used, you know, portion of microscopes very effectively and allowed the client to sort of heal themselves through her presence. And I thought that was really fascinating because at the end of the day, it all comes back to that felt safety and, um, can I trust you with my pain? Can I trust you with the disclosure of all of these really horrible things? Sometimes will you still be there next session and unconditionally regard me? And as a therapist, yeah, I, I will. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. absolutely yeah. That's my job. Yeah. I, I love the quote, um, Ilion Van Zant. Elian, I think I'm saying her name correctly. Uh, Van Zant is the last name. And um, she she has a quote that's like, healing is the application of love to the places inside that hurt. I think about that whenever I'm talking with someone and holding space, because, you know, I think that that's ideally what it's about is kind of holding, holding space to know like, hey, I could sit here with you and and hold this with you and we could hold it together. So yeah, I, th- I think it it truly is like that, you know. Uh, we're it's a special relationship. Love. It's not the the kind of so many times in life, even if when we go to our friends or family members, so many people that we talk to have these maybe kind of unwitting agendas, mm-hmm. and or maybe your pain gets too close to their pain, and they they shift into like maybe more of a limbic state where they have to rationalize. Well, no, and then that kind of shuts you down into your shame. Um, As a, as a, as a clinician, we don't have any agenda other than pushing the process forward towards healing and, and um, illumination. So it's, it's a special type of relationship that can't have happen any other, any other, in any other place. It's just this, this really sacred confidential. And our function is, is very much geared towards the needs of, when at least that's the way I view it is I'm mm-hmm. here for you. Yeah. My, I have counter-transference just like probably everybody else, but I'm so I'm aware of that counter-transference and I use it to educate myself and to guide the session or to take care of the things that I need to take care of where I might be stuck. So it's not about me. And so many people these days, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, this is, this is going to be a very, very kind of like generalizing, <laughs> maybe hot take, but <laughs> so many we're so many people are just addicted to talking about themselves and Mm, and, um we find this very like attention seeking and that can be like this is my pain this is where i'm coming from i want to talk about it as much as possible or i want to kind of refer back to myself but to just sit and listen to someone and to ask them questions about themselves without another part person interfering or trying to one up or just trying to insert their story into your yeah. story. That's a valuable commodity these days. And maybe always. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, I think always. Yeah. Because it, it's, it's a privileged moment that someone feels safe enough and that you're able to like, Ooh, wow. You're allowing me in to work through this with you. You, you know, like, so the, I guess, <laughs> there's a selfish component with with by saying it that way because it's like oh I feel privileged that I'm able to be and share that space with that person and my gosh who wouldn't want to devote like an you know an hour a week to just okay this is this is my scheduled time to sort out 
this crap that has been plaguing me or bothering me. And that's even a cognitive behavioral therapy technique is like, oh, let me make an appointment to my worry time. Yeah. Yeah. Let me worry. This is my worry time. So, so yeah. To, and to allow someone, a professional in there to process it with you with the theoretical frameworks and different techniques and different, different ways of handling it. Like, wow. It's a, it, yeah, I feel privileged in those moments whenever someone chooses me as a therapist. It's a, it's a cool moment. So yeah, that's so, kind of why we do what we do. Yeah, no kidding. Well, Eva, again, you've added so much value to this conversation. And, I hope so. Uh, yeah, I always, love, I always love it. You elevate our conversation each time to where, you know, most of the time I just want to cuss and, and giggle. But you bring in, you bring in like, like a, a, a level of intellect to the, you know, we had some cussing. I think we had a good amount. That was one of the things I was going to ask. I'm like, am I allowed to cuss today? Because that might happen. <laughs> might just slip out every once in a while. I don't know. I bring it out. But um, all right. Well, thanks for today. And uh, I'll talk to you later on this week, woman. All right. Thank you. All right. I enjoyed it. You too. Right, bye.